0: But today we're going to be reading and going through John chapter 17 as Pastor Sergio read John 17. This prayer is what's known as the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying this prayer in the garden of Gethsemane and he's taking this time to pray for himself. He's taking this time to pray to the father. He's taking this time to pray for his disciples. He's taking this time to pray for us the future disciples that will come to believe in the promised work, to come believe the hope that lies in Christ and in Christ alone. And this prayer, honestly, this chapter in John 17 is one of my favorite chapters because this shows the heart of Jesus. This shows his heart that he has for us and the love that he has for us. The Father, the love that he has for us. And the spiritual union he wants us to be in with him, to be adopted, to be brought in. So, what we're gonna see in John 17 is that Jesus prays, teaches, and models unity. He's praying for unity, he's teaching unity, and he's modeling unity. And what we're gonna see as well, we're gonna see not only does Jesus pray for unity, but he accomplishes unity. He calls every one of us to unity. And we're going to see how he sacrifices for unity. Verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You know, as I was studying for this text this week and going through John 17... I was really wanting to capture the heart of Jesus. I was really wanting to to display a picture for us to see, and I wanted the scripture to come to life. And and how better else to explain this than to explain it with the story? Years ago, me and my wife, we caregived for um, a lady. Her name was Sonia. She was a family friend. And I'll never forget the day where she knew her time was coming. Like, she knew that she was going to leave soon. So here we are at the funeral home, and it's me and my wife, and we're walking through the funeral home, and she's looking at all, the, all these different caskets. She's literally touching the lining in the inside to check the thickness of the padding. She's looking at the colors. She's looking at the different tombstones. She's looking at the different little things that you can add to the coffin, like the railings, and then after she picks out the coffin that she's going to be buried in, and this is a very emotional moment, as you can imagine. A person that's near and dear to us is about to leave us, and she's picking out a coffin which she'll be buried in. But immediately after that, she began to give us a list, a directive of what to do once she was gone. She left written instructions for us. Who to give what to? Who's supposed to get the rocking chair? Who's supposed to get the clock? I mean, she's going in detail. And I'm like, this is a lot to do. But she didn't want us to worry. She didn't want to leave us a load of things to do after she was gone. She wanted us to know her heart of what her wishes were. John 17 captures the heart of our Savior. He's praying for unity He's praying that we would be united with him. We see early on off right now in the scripture that that, that Jesus is praying for himself. He says, Father, the hour has come. This is the hour in which angels long to look into the glory that Jesus has always had. His eternal glory from time before time began was coming he was laying down his life he was laying down his life and he was praying for unity and you see this beautiful conversation that that, that God the Son is having with God the Father we see two people of the Trinity speaking we see God the Son speaking to God the Father you see a relationship of unity within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're having, he's having a conversation with the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. The work that God, the Father, sent him to do was accomplished. We see that, that, that God will share his glory with no one. But yet we see God the Son receives glory because this is the truth that we hold. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three in one. And it's a divine mystery that we could barely understand. But the day that we're with them, we'll understand the fullness and the complexity of that all. I'm not going to act like I know how to explain that because I do not know. I'm a mere man. What I do know is this, is that God will share his glory with no one. God the Son is submitted to the Father's will his entire life. And God the Father glorifies the Son. That's why Jesus says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed the eternal glory of the Son. Jesus prays for unity. We see unity at work. The work that he was speaking of that was accomplished was this. Jesus accomplished bringing us, reconciling those that he came to rescue to God the Father back in a right relationship. He came to rescue the lost, the broken, the outcasts. He came for the sick, not the righteous. And he comes to redeem us back into a right relationship. John 17 captures Jesus' work being accomplished. He accomplished it. He didn't leave us as orphans, but he reconciles back us to God. And not only does he reconcile us back to God, but he also justifies us. He pays the legal requirement of the sin that entered in for us. It means we're in a legal right standing with God. The penalty was paid for you and me. But see, it's not just that. It also means adoption, because what Jesus accomplishes is our adoption, that we're brought in. That we are, we're not just saved creatures, but that we're his dearly loved children. Man, dearly loved children. Imagine that. He sets us apart for holy use. Look at verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. Jesus is our high priest who makes this intercessory prayer, praying for unity, accomplishing unity, calling us to unity, and sacrificing for unity. And he says, I consecrate myself. His whole entire life was that of a holy, blameless life. And you know what he does? You know what he does? He says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I'm going to tell you something, family, that is one of my most favorite scriptures in all the Bible. To know that God the Father sees you and me as children, his own possession. He sees us as blameless, holy children, reconciled, restored, redeemed, renewed unto him. He sees you as a daughter. He sees you as a son. This is the adoption that Jesus accomplished. He reconciled. The wrong that Adam made in the Garden of Eden. Jesus makes right in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is our high priest who perfectly obeyed. And I know, family, I I know we say that all the time, but let me tell you, the power of knowing the gospel and asking the Holy Spirit to teach us the gospel daily The gospel is a transforming work of God the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts and transforming us from the inside out. If that same transforming power is a power that changed you and I to believe, why should we ever go away from it? It is the source. It is the life of every single follower, every single disciple. The moment we bring condemnation or we feel the weight of failure, of sin, we should be reminded by our identity in Jesus. Because what Jesus has accomplished, he accomplishes our unity, our spiritual union with God. And we can be reminded, man, you know what? I messed up. I did mess up. But Lord, I can confess my sin and I can repent of my sin. And I know you love me the same way. I'll be the first one to tell you it's easy to beat ourselves up. Am I right? Right? We hold ourselves hostage. I can't believe you did that again. I can't believe you fell for the same trick again, Howard. Man. And we beat ourselves up. And we start to think, you know what? This time, I'm going to be serious. I'm I'm, going to show God that, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm, going to stay on the straight and narrow. But you know what we do? We begin to trust in ourselves. It wasn't you that saved you. It was God's saving hand that saved you. It wasn't by blood. It wasn't you being born into a relationship with God because your family were believers. It wasn't by your flesh, by your own works. It wasn't by your will deciding to say, God, I want you now and I want to follow you now. But according to John chapter 1 verse 13, it was by God. If you have, let me, let me put it to you like this. Let's, let's use a real-life example. Who in here, who in here, if I can get a show of hands, chose the place to be born in? Nobody. Who in here chose the family to have? Nobody. Who in here chose to live in America? Nobody. We did not pick to be born when we were born. We did not pick where to be born, and the family which we would be born into. Likewise, we have no power in ourselves. But when we cast ourselves upon the saving work of Jesus, to say, Lord, I need you to change me. I need you to give me a new heart. I need you to do the work that you said you accomplished. I need you to accomplish that in my life. And believe that that it's already done. Because when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's done. Jesus accomplishes unity by bringing us into the proper relationship with him. And man, that's such a beautiful promise to know, family. It is. It truly, truly is. You know what that means for us on a daily basis? Is it the moment that we believe? Do you remember the day that you were saved? Do you remember when your eyes, the scales came off your eyes? Do you remember when your heart pounded a little faster? Do you remember when you were broken over your sin and you realized how sinful you were? You can be reminded that God in his love already loved you and he forgave you by the blood that was shed on the cross through his son. This is the accomplished work of our victorious king who can say in chapter 16, verse 33, I have overcome the world. Our king is victorious. And he can say, I have overcome the world. He accomplished the work for you and I. Family, what I want y'all to leave here with today, if anything... If anything, is how Jesus prays for unity, how he accomplishes unity, how he calls us, every single believer, to unity, and how he sacrificed for this unity. He calls every one of us into unity. Go to verse 20. I do not ask for these only. He's speaking of the current disciples. But also for those, for those. Who are those right there? That's us. He's praying for us. He's praying for you and me. Those us are us. That's you and me, the future disciples who would believe upon the promise of Christ. The finished work that he accomplished on the cross. That's us. So do you know what that means? This means that this prayer right now that he's praying is for you. These words right now are written for you and for me. Now, if that doesn't give you some kind of chills or something, That man, that, 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 that amazes me, is that he had you in mind. He had you in mind when he wrote this. Who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me. Look at at this relationship. Look at this relationship that, that God the Father, he gives glory to the Son. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. He gives every single thing in Christ he gives to us. This is the unity that I'm speaking of. I have given to them that they may be one. He's praying for unity. As we are one, I in them and you in me. I in them, Jesus in me. Family, I want to try something here. Can you say Jesus in me? Jesus in me. This is what this is. Jesus in me. It is no longer the old me. If you believe in the promised work of Christ, this is what this means. The old self, the old you, has been crucified with Christ. The old you is dead. You no longer live. But Christ lives in us. It is no longer me. It is not me being a better me. It's no Romans 8.29 being conformed into the image of Christ. It is Christ in you. Christ in me. Jesus in me. This is the work of our great high priest. He made himself holy so that we would be seen as holy. There's nothing that we could bring to God to show them. Lord, I I feed the homeless people. I I help those who are stuck on drugs. I I help at the women's center. I I, I do all these good things. I I work and, and, and I look at all my good things that I can do for you, God. You can use my gifts for the kingdom. He's not impressed by us. Do you know why? Because we fail. We are born into sin. James 2.10 says that if we keep the whole law but break it at one time, we're guilty of breaking it all. But glory be to God that Jesus obeyed perfectly so we could be seen as holy and blameless. But he calls every one of us to unity. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. God the Father loves us exactly the same way as he loves his son. Look at verse 26 to skip down a little bit. It's the last part of it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. This is the love of the Father. This is the love that he has for us. Jesus calls every one of us to be in unity with him. Jesus is our high priest, and this prayer is for you and me. But see, not only is he our high priest, but he is the the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. Because remember, he's praying this prayer before he's about to be betrayed by Judas. He could have ran. He had time to leave. He knew all things. He could have just stopped them when they came. But you know what he does? you got to read 16, and it ties in right into 17. But he says, take courage, take heart. I've overcome the world. You look at that, and you read 17, the reason why he didn't need to leave a run is because he accomplished it already. He overcame. He obeyed perfectly. He accomplished the work of the Father. He brought us into a right standing. He set us free from sin. He destroyed death. He made the blind to see. He made the dead rise. And I'm not just talking about Lazarus. I'm talking about us being dead in our trespasses, made alive in Christ. Turn with me to chapter, uh, well, just verse 13. Look at this. I want you to see his heart. Actually, let's go up to 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming home to you. Jesus calls us to unity, but we read that one was lost. Why was he lost? Because the scriptures foretold that Judas would betray Jesus. Jesus predicts it in the other chapters, in the other gospels. But we also know in Psalms, it predicts that that the Messiah would be betrayed. When we're not in unity with Christ, what will happen to us remains no hope. But we see the great shepherd guarding the flock. When I was reading this, I could see Jesus, our high priest, Jesus, our shepherd, Jesus, the prophet, all through these scriptures. But he calls us to unity, family. And today he makes an invitation to anyone openly and freely that if we haven't trusted in him that we would turn that we would repent and place our trust in the great shepherd to be in this unified relationship with our king to take away our sin to reconcile us to God to give us that new name Jesus calls us to unity Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, if you don't mind. Chapter 12, verse 2. And this is what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the founder and perfecter. Jesus prays for unity. Jesus accomplishes unity. Jesus calls us to unity. And now Jesus sacrifices for unity and you know the way he did it he did it with the joy that was set before him he was going back to the father he was going back but he did it because he sacrificed himself he sacrificed himself for us not only does he pray for unity, but he dies believing unity. And he lays his life down freely for you and me. Man, who does that? It says, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies. Would you die for your enemy? Uh, Brother Joe said it right. No? All right. Who wants to die for our enemy? But you know what? That's what Jesus did for us. Man, if that doesn't like, man, blow up your mind, that's crazy. But that's crazy love. That's crazy hope that we have in Jesus. This is the eternal love that he's always had for us. This is the eternal love he placed upon you. He created you in your mother's womb. He knows the hairs that are on your head. that He hasn't counted. He does, I don't have much to count anymore, you know. But at the end of the day, he knows us. In the most profoundest, deepest ways. He knows your struggles. He knows your hurts. He knows your failures. And you know what? He still died for you then. So you don't got to clean up to say, you know what, I got to get my act together before I become a church goer. See, listen to me. Jesus wants you the way you are. Come as you are. All you who are heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to him as you are. Jesus sacrifices his very lifeblood His very life for unity. So we will be brought in. So we can come as we are. Because it's finished. And this is the hope we have. And Jesus, our high priest. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the eternal Son. Jesus, the King of kings. Jesus, the Lord of lords. Jesus. Just say with me, Jesus Jesus, Jesus, that sweet name, Jesus, the sweet king, loving king who came from heaven, from his throne on high for you and me, and it makes us sing how how great thou art, how great thou art, Lord if we can leave with anything today, family, is to know that Jesus prays, teaches, and models unity. And so I have a question. If Jesus sacrifices his very life for unity, if he lays his life down for unity, and he says this prayer for us for unity, why do we hold unforgiveness and create disunity? Why do, we forgive, why do we hold unforgiveness to the people that hurt us? Why do we hold people hostage? Unforgiveness can tear at the fabric of unity. Unforgiveness can tear away at the fabric of unity. You know, you read the scriptures and you see how unforgiveness, the Lord Jesus, speaks to us and tells us to forgive anyone. He says, forgive anyone of what? Anything. Not just your brothers and sisters in Christ. Nope. You know, I'm reminded right now of a story. Y'all may have heard of this. I'm sure y'all have. But do you remember about two, three years ago, I think it was in North Carolina, South Carolina, where they're having the prayer meeting and the guy comes in the Bible study and he starts to kill people? Do y'all remember that story? Do you know the, the surviving, well, actually the people's family told the gunman that they forgave him? Listen, family. I would be the first one to tell you I would have a hard time with that. And I'm not going to stand up here like it's easy to forgive someone when they've hurt us. When they've really hurt us. I'm not just talking about emotionally hurt us, but also I'm talking about physically. That's what I'm talking about. We are to forgive anyone of anything. Because unforgiveness can tear away at the fabric of unity. So how we apply this, 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 this high priestly prayer to our lives is that we ask the question, the most critical question. Number one, who in our family are we holding unforgiveness towards? And I'll be the first one to tell you, I know it's easier said than done to say, you should forgive someone. But see, guess what? I didn't say it. The Lord Jesus commands that we do it. And if we are his disciples, then we will obey and listen to what the captain and savior of our faith says to do. To forgive anyone. He demonstrates this. He models this at the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Man. He prays, he teaches, and he models unity. So family, I would call you, every one of us here, I myself included, to repenting of holding unforgiveness to anyone. If it's a brother or sister in this room, we know that If we don't forgive them, it can create disunity. And instead of us going and speaking to the person that hurt us, we just act the same way. We do the fake smile, the fake hug, like everything's cool, but that's not what Jesus tells us to do. And you know what happens? Resentment grows, hatred grows, unforgiveness grows. That's not who we should be. The gospel liberates us to be able to share our hurts and to know and to say, hey, you know what, bro? Man, what you said the other day, man, it really hurt me, you know, and to be real. Or turn it around and be like, you know what, bro, or sis, I've been holding unforgiveness toward you, and I just want to ask for your forgiveness. I'll share a quick story, and I'm almost done. It was years ago that, that, that uh, I became very unsatisfied with uh, the way things happen in a church. And it was years ago, it's when I walked away and I wanted to be a rebellious, prodigal son. And the Lord brought me back. But what was interesting is I remember the pastor of that church, I remember my marriage was falling apart. And I remember holding so much unforgiveness toward that pastor. Because I felt like, man, like, like they, send me, they send me little pamphlets about the programs they're doing. They send me little envelopes for money. They, they send me all this other stuff, but they don't even call me. And I was hurt by it. I was really, really hurt. And I remember holding this unforgiveness. But when the Lord had brought me back, he showed me how arrogant, how prideful, how I was comparing myself to what God had said he had for me, but I wanted something else. See, I was a sinful one. I was blaming everyone, but I wasn't looking at me. And when the Lord brought me back and He restored me, He put it on my heart one day to call this pastor. And I called him, and I said, Pastor so and so, I'm not going to say his name, you know. I just want to let you know that um, I want to ask for your forgiveness. And so he was floored. He's like, Well, what did I? W- w- what happened? And I began to tell him the story. And you know what he told, he told me? He says, you know what? He's like, however we failed you, I'm sorry. And he, he begins to repent and ask for forgiveness. And it, what happened was this, this reconciliation began to happen. But see, if I wouldn't have made that phone call, if I wouldn't have reached out and been intentional of letting this person know my hurt, my pain, and what I was holding against him, I would have taken that for the rest of my life. Because unforgiveness tears at the fabric of unity. So family, if there's anybody in this room, and I will take this time to say this, if I, me, have hurt you, or said something to hurt you, It was never my intention. And I would ask that if I've done anything to you, I have a very strong character, but that's the way I'm wired. And I'm learning, and the Lord is sanctifying me. And I would ask that you be patient with me and that you would forgive me if I've hurt you. And I want to take this time today as we go into reflection and repentance that before you leave, if there's anybody here that's hurt you, And it might have been something from six months ago. But let that go. Let it go. Not like the song, let it go, let it go, you know. But let it go. Let it go, for real. It tears at the fabric of unity. We were bought. We're not our own. So family, I close with this. Don't let the sun go down today with unforgiveness in your heart. Let the light of the gospel liberate your heart to be free from holding that unforgiveness because it will tear out the fabric of unity. Amen.